It's early March 2012. Julson Salangsing, a driver from Chumpon Taisei District in Thailand, is found murdered by the side of the road and his pickup truck is missing. With his face bashed in by a rock, a later autopsy would show he'd been poisoned by insecticide. This won't be the last driver to be found this way. This is the story of Nirud Songkam Han, the pickup truck killer. Hi, I'm your host Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. I've spent a lot of time in Thailand. The people are friendly and it's a great place to visit. But as you well know... There are people in all parts of the world that are evil and care nothing other than for themselves, even to the point of murder. Tonight's case is about 43-year-old Narut Songkamhan, a sinister son of a bitch that preyed on honest, hard-working family men by drugging them and stealing their pickup trucks, of which he would on-sell to his partners in crime. Some would survive but many would lose their lives to this evil animal. It would also show the problem of district policing not communicating with each other and sharing information. And as we all know, this can cause serial killers to be able to move around undetected for years. But before he was to go on his rampage, let's get a little bit of the story that led up to this. It's midway through 2011. 43-year-old Narut was originally from a place called Songkla Province, about a thousand kilometres south of Bangkok. He now lives in Gallison with his third wife, Kanonipa Boom Sombat, who was more than 20 years younger than him. She said although he took care of her financially, he was incredibly jealous, would drink and beat her up, and had a chronic gambling addiction. She said he bought a truck but had pawned it off when he lost all his money gambling. He now wanted to borrow more money and get another truck, but Kananipa got mad and she'd basically tired of him, so she took off to Pattaya to stay with friends. Now I must tell you that Pattaya is a bit of a party town, which attracts girls and guys from all over Thailand to work in the tourist and happy ending industry. Narut got so pissed off and he blamed his mother-in-law for the fact that his wife had done the bolt. So late one night, Narut creeps up to her house. When his mother-in-law gets up to go to the dunny, which is an outside toilet, Narut uses a rope and tries to garrote her. As she screams for help, Her husband wakes up and rushes to her aid. Narut takes off into the night. Her husband sees that one of the attacker's thongs has fallen off and immediately recognised it as Narut's. He thought, what the fuck is Narut thinking? And so they call police and report the attack. I mean, it's not funny, but instead of using DNA to identify the suspect, they use his fucking thong. Anyway, have you ever tried running with one thong? 
It's one of the most difficult things to do, especially if you've had a few drinks. So, when Kananipa finds out what's happened to her mother, she calls Narut and says that she'll return home and he can kill her if he wants, but to leave her mother alone. On her return, she offers to help the police by telling Narut to meet her at her grandmother's house. When he turns up, police are ready for him and put him into custody. Narut begs the mother-in-law for forgiveness and asks for the charges to be dropped as he would not survive in prison. He said he will change for the better, but if he stays in prison, he'll commit suicide. Fearing revenge if they don't drop the charges, they ask the court to be lenient and Narut gets out of the monkey house after only a few months. Narut is released on the 4th of January 2012. He steals Kananipa's motorcycle and says he's going to Bangkok. However, once he's gone, there's a report of an old lady named Yupin missing in the area. Her daughter daughter had gone to check on her on the 8th of January and found she was not at home. Instead, she found a note on the front door saying she'd gone to her nephew's funeral and would not be back for 10 days. Her daughter was very suspicious about the note as she knew her mother did not have any nephews. On closer inspection, her mother's pickup truck was missing as well as over $10,000 US of cash and a quantity of gold. Now, you may think, what's someone in a village doing with that much money and gold on them? Well, in Thailand, it's quite common for people to do this rather than put the money in the bank. So, I'll go on. What's also strange is that her dogs were also dead and there were large amounts of saliva that had formed sticky masses on the front yard. This indicated the dogs had been poisoned. A couple of days later, on the 10th of January, a woman's body is found floating in the local reservoir. This would later be identified as the missing Lady Yupin. When detectives questioned her neighbours, they get reports that Nairut had been at her house on the 4th of January and had asked her for a loan. Also, what detectives were able to find out was that when Narut took his wife's motorcycle and told her he was going to Bangkok, what he actually did was ride to a relative's house, drop off the motorcycle there, and got that relative to drop him off near Yupin's house. Remember the note that was stuck to Yupin's door? Well, the forensic guys were able to lift a print from the sticky, sticky tape, and that came back as a match for Narut. Police now issued a murder warrant for Narut, but he disappeared. Narut called Kananipa and told her where he had left her motorcycle, and when Kananipa's mama went to get it, she looked under the seat and found a small bottle of pesticide called Lenate. Now, Lenate is the commercial brand name for methamol. It's highly toxic to humans, livestock, pets and wildlife. When taken orally, it is classified as EPA Toxicity Category 1, 
which is the highest for all categories. Now, this is serious shit, especially the commercial version of which Lenate was. Just a minute amount is enough to attack your nervous system and render you unconscious. A little more and you can die. So Kananipa's mum gives the bottle to police. Now, as this investigation is going on, there are two reports of drivers that have been drugged in southern Thailand and their valuables and pickup trucks were stolen. So one of the survivors was Montre Kalam. Montre received a call from Narut in early January 2012, asking for him if he could pick him up in Bangkok and drive him to Chumpon, where he would collect his daughter. At around 6pm, Montre turned up at the overpass that Narut had asked to be picked up from, and then they took Route 4 towards Chumpon. Now along the way, they chatted and got along quite well. Montre remembers that Narut looked like he was a blue-collar worker, but he stunk of B.O. Anyway, Narut asked him to pull over at the servo, or gas station, where he then proceeded to enter the 7-Eleven and buy coffee, snacks and energy drinks. Montre tells in in an interview with Crime Investigation, He passed me the coffee and I took two sips. I said, I don't want to drink it anymore. You take it. It tastes strangely bitter. I kept driving. In less than a minute, my face was numb. It was like I had an anaesthetic. I tried to pat my face. I was wondering why my face and eyes were blurred. I saw hundreds of taillights in front of me. I tried to pat and pinch my face. I realised I'd been drugged. The car started wobbling. I slowed down and stopped the car. I reached for the emergency light and passed out. I woke up at midnight or 1am. I was squirming. My stomach was hurting. I reached out my hands and touched leaves and grass. I then realised I was alive and in the woods. I burst into tears. It felt like my body was being ripped apart. I couldn't bear it. My vision and mind were both a blur. I was sweating heavily. My stomach was aching. So Montres eventually is able to get help and he's taken to hospital. Police are called and they are told that Montre has been poisoned with a pesticide and that he's, and he's lucky that he only took a couple of sips or else he'd be dead. Now, police trace the call of the person that hired Montre to Chiang Rai, which is right up in the north of Thailand. But this number has been turned off. So police take Montre for a drive along the route he took to see if he could remember the stop he made. They located the 7-Eleven and went through the security camera footage and Montre was able to pick out the guy that had poisoned him. So police now have a blurry image of the suspect, but no name or other details. You see, when people hire trucks like this to be taken somewhere or deliver something somewhere, it's all cash. 
So there's no names or you can use false names. But Narut has used his phone to make the initial contact. Later on January the 27th, 2012, Pytoon Patapo also received a call from Narut asking him to pick him up from Bangkok. He was asked by Narut if he could drive him to Chumpon where he would load up a fridge, motorbike, his wife and daughter and bring them back to Bangkok. As they were both from the Isan district in northern Thailand, they enjoyed chatting and listening to Isan music as they drove along. They left in the late afternoon and again Narut asked to stop at a servo near Cha Am so he could take a piss and buy coffee and snacks. As Patoon said in his interview, when, we br- when he brought me coffee, I tasted it with the tip of my tongue. It was hot and bitter. Five kilometres later, my eyes were blurry and my energy dropped. It got worse, so I stopped the car. I was about to grab the water bottle, but my body twitched and went numb. I couldn't do anything, and then I passed out. When he reported it to police, they again found the 7-Eleven that they'd stopped at and Pytoon picked out the same guy from security footage. They found that Pytoon had been called by the same number that Montre had been called by. So police requested a list of all calls made by that number. Here, they were able to find a number that had been repeatedly called. When police called this number they found it was the suspect's brother-in-law. Now, when asked what his name was, the brother-in-law said he didn't know, but that he was a bad person and that he lived in Callison. Now, you may think that it's strange that the brother-in-law doesn't know the guy's name and that why not contact the wife. I think it's strange as well, and I was not quite able to work this bit out. Sometimes things get lost in translation a bit. So anyway, police look for warrants out in Callison. Here they find a very similar case of a truck driver that had been murdered and his truck stolen. The warrant was for Narut Songkamhan and his photo matched up with the security footage from both 7-Elevens. Also, there was a warrant out for him for the murder that I told you about earlier of Yupin, who was found floating in the reservoir. And she had all her money and gold, plus her pickup truck stolen. So now they had a name and a face, but still it was going to be bloody hard to find this guy. Now, Narut is pretty much settled into his MO by now. And he's hiring another driver to take him from Bangkok to southern Thailand. This driver, 34-year-old Sharon Danoy, would be very lucky. After picking up Narut, they drove for a while and then Narut asked for Sharon to stop at the servo for drinks and snacks. This time Narut offered Sharon a small 150ml bottle of Red Bull of which Sharon gulped down about half of it. He remembers that in almost no time at all, his vision became blurry, 
so he pulled over. When he got out of the car, Narut tried to grab his keys. However, the chain broke and Narut ended up with Sharon's house keys. They struggled for a few more moments and then Narut took off. Dazed and confused, Sharon was able to get help. He still had his car and didn't bother reporting it to police as he thought they would not investigate the incident any further. However, Narut quickly got back to business and called a pickup truck delivery business asking to take him to southern Thailand to pick up family. The owner of the company calls one of his best and most reliable drivers, Rob Kwan Klapsoon, and assigns him to the job. The boss calls Rob Kwan during the drive at around 9pm, but later on in the early morning when he calls, no one answers the phone. The boss calls the client, Narut, and he fails to answer. He then calls Rob Kwan's wife, Lamai, and tells her that he can't reach her husband. Now this is really sad. She said that she never normally kissed her husband before he went off to work, but on this occasion, she kissed him on the cheek. Lamai reports her husband is missing to police, and she also reports, reports it to Ekelek Lum Chomchai of the Mirror Foundation. The Mirror Foundation, they're a missing persons organisation. Initially, they were a little sceptical about the report, as often it would be that the missing person had stolen the truck from his employer and had run away with another woman. However, as there was absolutely no trace of Rob Kwan, his relatives had not seen nor heard of him, the truck was nowhere to be found, they decided to post announcements on their website and to media organisations. He's even featured on a missing persons TV show. However, there's absolutely no response. The next driver to go missing is Wachara Subchur. The last known contact with, with him was by his wife Donna Tai, who called him at around 10pm and Wachara told her he was driving a client to southern Thailand. The next day, she tries to call him, but he doesn't answer. She calls Wachara's father, Sombat, in a panic, and he tries to call both Wachara and the client, which, as we know, is Narut. Although Narut's phone rings, he doesn't answer it, and eventually he turns it off. Sombat and Donatai, they get in their car and follow the route Wachara was taking, and they go and look for him. They drive for over 500 kilometres, stopping at service stations along the way and ask to see security footage, but they fail to see Wachara or his truck. They don't know what Narut looks like, so they go on, looking to see if the truck had run off the road or whatever. Sombat even looks through places such as sugarcane fields to see if his son has been dumped there as he was pretty sure something sinister had happened. They find nothing. Wachara and the truck have simply vanished. They report Wachara missing not only to police but they also report him to to several media organisations. Eventually, 
the same TV show that reported Rob Kwan missing, also picks up on the Wachara case. The guy from the Mirror Foundation, Ekelek, is watching and realises that Wachara's case is very similar to Rob Kwan's. He decides to investigate and see if they can find any more missing truck drivers. They hit on another similar case, that of missing driver Jusul Salasing. He'd been missing since accepting a job to drive a client to southern Thailand. He and his truck had been missing for months. Ekelek of the Mirror Foundation approaches the TV show and along with a representative from the Royal Thai Police Crime Suppression Division, they discuss the three cases on air. At this point, the police had not linked the two truck drivers that had survived the attack, the missing truck drivers, or the murder of Yupin in Callison. Several police teams had bits and pieces, but as they had no way to share information readily, the profile of a deadly serial killer was not becoming apparent. It started to look like there was some sort of criminal gang involved, and so the Crime Suppression Division decided to investigate the three cases and were left a little embarrassed that some missing persons show and a missing persons organisation had been able to link the similarities where they had failed. So, just by some freaky coincidence, after the show aired on TV, there were reports of a body found in bushland. He'd been drugged and left to die. This would prove to be one of the three drivers featured that night on the Missing Persons TV show. It was Julesul Salasing. His face had been bashed in with a rock, but the cause of death was determined to be poisoning with insecticide. So now they had one missing driver turn up dead, and he'd been drugged with insecticide. The same insecticide that the two surviving drivers had been drugged by. This was the link they needed. Now they could see that they had several cases that were most likely linked. In each case, drivers were drugged, their trucks and valuables stolen, and at least one of them was dead. Two had survived and two more were missing. As the investigation of the two surviving drivers had found that Narut was a suspect, they were now able to link him to all of the cases as the prime suspect. Problem is, now they had to find him. Police found two more cases that were possibly linked. On the 18th of March, Chamnong Sirachat's body was found by the side of the road and his truck was stolen. Again, another case on the 9th of April, where another driver, Somsak Shijampa, had been found dead on the side of the road from insecticide poisoning and his truck was stolen. Investigators found that in all cases, the drivers had been hired to drive Narut south and that they were also able to find out that Narut had grown up in the Hat Yai area, which is in southern Thailand. They theorised that Narut was stealing the trucks to sell to his cohorts in Hat Yai. Then they had a breakthrough. 
CCTV footage at Hat Yai Airport showed the number plate of the last victim's truck entering the car park. Closer inspection showed that the driver was not Somsak Shijampa and it wasn't Narut either. But further examination of security footage inside the airport showed Narut walking into the toilets and emerging with a different shirt on. In fact, his original shirt was found on security footage from the 7-Eleven stores they'd looked at earlier. He even had the same fucking hat on. Airline records showed that over the last few months, Narut would take flights from Hat Yai back to Bangkok. Police were now pretty sure they knew what was going on. Narut would call a driver to pick him up in Bangkok. As they drove, he would get the driver to stop so he could buy drinks and snacks. He'd then put lanate into the driver's drink to drug them. He would then steal everything they had and drive the truck to Hat Yai where he he had associates that would buy the truck off him and drop him off at the airport to go back to Bangkok. Rinse and repeat. So, they now know know that Narut is probably holding out somewhere in Bangers, but this place has a population of 8 million people with about another 14 million living in the immediate surrounding areas. Fun fact time, Islanders. While the exact origin of the name Bangkok is not exactly known, one theory, it was shortened from Bang Ma Kok, Ma Kok being an olive-type fruit that was found in the area. Bang Ma Kok. <laughs> get it? <laughs> so, anyway, let's get back onto it. They need to find his, this crazy Narut arsehole before he kills again. So they've found him on security footage at Hat Yai Airport, but of course he's going to Bangkok. So they find security footage getting into a taxi at Bangkok Sawanaboon Airport, and they're able to see the taxi's registration number. They catch up on the driver that was driving that car at the time, and he remembers Narut, and he remembers dropping him off at Big C in Om Yai, and that's just outside of Bangkok. Now, Big C is like Walmart without the Walmartians or Tesco's for the Brits. So they now need to find him. So they circulate his photo and check accommodation records. Eventually, they get a hit. Narut was living there with a girl, which turned out to be his wife, Kanonapa, who was blissfully unaware of what her husband had been up to, although she did suspect he was maybe robbing people. The cops descended on the room. They could hear a TV was on, and by chance, the door was unlocked. They barged in and tackled Narut to the ground. Kanonapa was shocked when she heard what Narut had been arrested for, as she had no idea that each time he'd gone away for work, that he was actually killing people and stealing their trucks. Police found evidence in the room confiscating a bottle of Lenate, 17,600 baht in cash, and the clothes he wore on the day he supposedly killed his latest victim. They took him downtown, 
and charged him with theft and murder. He readily confesses to the crimes and provides full details to police. He told them that he used to drive trucks for a living and knew that drivers would take on passengers for cash money and no questions asked. This meant he was able to book drivers to take him to southern Thailand without having to give them any proof of identity. He would then wait for them to drive near a desolate and dark area of the highway, get them a drink which he would then spike, and when they passed out, he would steal their truck. As some of the, some of the drivers had survived by only taking a small amount, he decided he would up the dose of Lenate to become deadly with even a small dose. He got around 10,000 baht, which is about 400 Australian dollars, 300 US dollars, or 230 pounds. And he got that for each truck he sold to his accomplices. Life's cheap in some places. He basically used this money to fund his gambling habit. Now some reports are that he got a lot more money, but I got these amounts from trusted Thai sources. As with all the information I got for tonight's show, if anything conflicted, I would fall back to the Thai version. Uh, Most of the stuff I got from Bangkok Post and Bangkok websites, but of course the interviews came from Crime Investigation. Now, remember, there, there are still drivers that are missing, believed to be the victims of Narut. So police really need to know where he stashed their bodies. The body count is four died, three survived, and two are still missing. He was paraded in front of the media, as the Thais like to do, with with his victims present and the families of those that died as well. They then locked him up in the monkey house. Police would go round up the rest of the gang in Hat Yai, which included some of his relatives. Sombat, the father of missing Wachara, would never find his son's body. Narut had been moved to a different police station because he promised to show police where the two missing drivers' bodies were. In his cell, he tried to commit suicide but failed. However, the next day he succeeded, taking the location of the burial sites of the last two victims, Wachara and Rob Kwan, to the grave. But for Rob Kwan's family, they would be told that his remains were found later that year in Suratani, southern Thailand. This would bring a total of six dead, three survivors, and of one of the six dead are still missing. Lamai, the wife of Rob Kwan, said in relation to Narut, he looked just, just like any ordinary person from the countryside. Now, How many times do we hear that about serial killers? Anyway, she then went on to speak about her husband, Rob Kwan. I was angry because Rob was a very nice person, even when he was out in a rice field and caught a big fish. He would never kill the fish. Why did this happen to Rob? I miss him. In my dream, I saw his shadow. He was walking towards my bed and he kissed me. Then I suddenly woke up. It was like his soul had gone nowhere.
He's still by my side. He was the pillar of our family. When we lost Rob, our family collapsed. More debts were coming in. I wanted to tell Rob, have a good rest. No need to worry. I will handle, I will handle all the problems here. Rest in peace. Now isn't that so, so sad? So, in the end, when you look at Narut, he was just an alcoholic, gambling addicted, numb nuts. He even killed that old lady up in Callison. She'd probably helped him in the past and that's why he knew she had money and valuables. She had a pickup truck and she was vulnerable. And then all those hard-working drivers that have their own families, all their children, he thought nothing of hiring them, chatting to them in the car, buying them drinks. But this was all just bullshit. He didn't care when he drugged them if he killed them or not. He just wanted their stuff. And for 10,000 baht, that's all he got. He didn't care about the life of the person he killed. 10,000 baht, like I said, about 400 Australian dollars. And it wasn't until that TV show and that Missing Persons Foundation were able to actually link some of this stuff up before the police were able to actually investigate enough to then find out that there was a lot more going on. The murder up in Callison of the old lady, all the missing truck drivers up and down the coast, they were all being individually investigated by different police districts. They just didn't share any information. I'm not too sure how if, if it's improved over the last years, but this how many times we've heard in the US where a serial killer has gone from state to state to state and gets away with it because nobody talks to each other. Anyway, that's enough about that one. That was a a good story from Thailand and again thanks to Katie who helped me out there with some translation and stuff. So, it's another month's gone. I'd like to thank to thank all the islanders for your support. For new listeners, I do call you islanders, so thanks for tuning in. This week's Patreon and PayPal shoutouts, they go to Tracy Smith Sarah from the Salty Canadian Podcast. Jason Abercrombie, he's moved into a golden deck chair. and Thanks, mate. There's Delaney MC as well as Karen Seifka. I hope I've said your name right. So to support the island via Patreon, you can pledge as little as a dollar per month and that'll give you a new episode every Sunday. Well, to, this one's a Monday, but don't worry. Sunday's usually the, the go, Sunday night. You can go to patreon.com slash truecrimeisland and that's where you can hook up and do all the thing. Now the first lot of stickers went out last week and the next lot will go out late this week for Patreon qualifiers. Heather, look out for a parcel. I'll be drawing the competition winner for the t-shirt later tonight if Katie can do it. Uh, I'll post that up on Patreon the winner and good luck to you all. 
You can also financially support the island via PayPal. And thank you to Pinky Pink from Norway for kindly donating using my account, which is cambo at truecrimeisland.com. But you can support the island just by sharing the podcast with a uh, friend or family and by leaving a review on iTunes. If you tell your family or friends about podcasting and help them out if they're not sure how to go about it, then you can spread the word for many podcasts because there's plenty of them out there that are absolutely fantastic. I've also got merch. Now, there is a link on my website, which is www.truecrimeisland.com. Now, merch is a link at the top of the page. Uh, That's for T-shirts, hoodies, plus mugs. Now, if you want a beer koozie or cooler, I have some left. Just email me for the detail. I have can and bottle sizes, and all koozies come, come with stickers. Uh, I also have stickers just by themselves, so if you want to buy some, just message me or email again, cambo at truecrimeisland.com. I did have a major computer failure this week, which has caused some strife. Uh, I'm using the mobile unit at the moment, so all support will be going to getting a new PC. Uh, All of your support has been wonderful. The hosting and domain are paid for, plus I've been able to upgrade the old headphones. Uh, Don't forget to uh, join the True Crime Island Facebook group. There's a normal group and a closed group, uh, plus I am Cambo Ford on there as well. I can be found on Twitter and Instagram as uh, as well, and that's at True Crime Island. Now, get on Twitter because all the hosts are on there. We all chat to each other, and all the listeners get on there and have a chat too. A big shout-out to Sinead from Men's Rear Podcast. I got your sticker today. It's on the fridge. I stuck a a photo of the fridge on Facebook today. I've got all the podcasts that have given me stuff on there. Uh, Thank you very much. I think yours went out last week, but I'll check on the sticker swaps. Uh, Everybody, sub Men's Rear Podcast at It Is Great. This week's promo is from Jocelyn of Poplar Cove. Now, that's an interesting audio drama about a strange island community, so a bit like us. Uh, For promo swaps, please please email me and put promo swap in the subject line so I can find it a bit easier. Uh, Look, I hope I haven't missed anything. Um, If I have, sorry, just message me on Facebook. That's usually the easiest way to get hold of me. So... This is Cambo signing off from True Crime Island. Don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Welcome to Poplar Cove, everyone. Who are the Great Old Ones? Is that a rock band or something? You don't know of the Great Old Ones? Powerful deities from space? With physical appearances that no human being could comprehend? Summon him with caution, as mere men who have spoken with this beast have gone mad. Ha! <laughs> well, that's silly. She talked about elder gods and how they have tentacles. If an elder god were to try and eat me, I should try to punch it in the nose and... No. Wait. Maybe that was sharks.